and welcome to another episode of Friends in Music with Brian Doherty. I'm your host, Brian Doherty. Today's guest is singer-songwriter Freedy Johnston. Freedy's record company describes him as one of those rare singer-songwriters who counts critics among his biggest fans and whose heroes consider him a peer. In 1994, Rolling Stone named Freedy the Songwriter of the Year, describing him as a master storyteller who sketches out full-blown tragedies in a few poetic lines. And he joins that elite cadre of songwriters like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and Elvis Costello. Freedy has a new album coming out soon, and a new single entitled There Goes a Brooklyn Girl to be released May 6th of 2022, which is actually next week. I caught up with Freedy recently for a chat. Let's listen in. Good man, I'm doing all right. You know, good. Life is uh, life is just you know. I'm not gonna complain, man. Life is good. So that's your that's your music room, huh? Cool. Yeah, this is my uh, this is my home studio behind me. Like I and and, and yeah. No, I, I I'm sitting like I'm facing my desk, but when I turn, I can cut drum tracks here and kind of operate the whole the whole scenario, you know, behind me. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that's really convenient. So so you use Pro Tools there? I have, um, I, do, I use Logic. I use Logic, that's Logic, right, you said that, yeah. yeah. No, Log- Log- Logic's great. I, I, I prefer Logic. I, I mean, I, I don't have either one. I have a hard disk thing. But I had- um, I do have pro, the, free, the free Pro Tools, actually. I, 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 did, I did make an attempt to use Pro Tools and kind of couldn't fit. I couldn't, couldn't couldn't figure it out, and Logic was just so easy for me. You know, it's kind of like yeah. GarageBand. You know, it's it's whatever you start on. Sure, I agree. Um, yeah. I have the opposite problem with it. I can only use Pro Tools because that's what I learned on. Oh wow! And when I go to Logic, when I go to Logic, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Hey. So anyway, so I want to thank you for meeting with us, and. Um, looking forward to our to our chat yes brian yes. we've been playing music together since the 90s <laughs> yeah since the uh, uh it definitely it's and it's been a it's been a long and, f- and fruitful uh, uh relationship absolutely so, yeah so we, we first worked together during uh, the candy fly era in 92 yes. absolutely and um feeling is mutual why, why don't you explain to people uh you know, a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are and take as, take as long or as, or as uh, little time as you need. Absolutely. And like, if I met somebody on a plane and they wanted, they said, what do you do? I said, exactly. well, this is what I do. I'm a, I'm the, I'm the luckiest guy. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. First of all, I mean, you know, the, the inside musician joke, I just saw the luckiest guy in the world today. You, you saw Max Weinberg. <laughs> That's a really cruel joke. I love Max. I've never heard that. But, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna, I, I am. <laughs> oh no, I, mean, I shouldn't even. That's an old dated. I mean, that dates me. But uh, the um, I love Max. That's really. But good. That used to be a funny joke, man. Because I was, you know the, what? Um, that is, that is very funny. funny. But I would have said uh, maybe, maybe Fred Smith from the B52s. Pretty much in that. <laughs> hey, but I'm third. And uh, I, I just happen to be like, you know, a lucky guy who, um, you know, uh, uh, first of all, the answer to the question is I'm a singer songwriter who somehow gets by having written, you know, whatever I've written, 60, 80, so I don't know how many I've written. Um, 
gets by living on my publishing right. and uh, uh, doing the, the occasional gig, but I'm a, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's just, that's my job that I've made it this far as, but it's not, it's, um, it is, uh, 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 so that's my job description. I'm a singer songwriter. Gotcha. I go around, a, I, I, I show up at a club with my acoustic guitar and do gigs. Right. And that is, that was not really my goal in the, in the, in the inception, you know, I mean, I didn't really intend to just be kind of one guy. I wanted to be a big rock star with a big management team and stuff. I realized that's not the way it always works. I think the people, you know, if I'm talking in this way to, to the imaginary listener, you know, Brian, I guess the, the person I would talk to would be, you know, like a 15 year old version of me or 17 year old version is like, which in the old days, the seventies, you know, I'm class of 79. It was a perfectly um, noble, reasonable, and uh, 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 admirable goal to, to want to be a, a long haired dope smoking rock, rock star, you know, chasing chicks, you know, and, and, and just being, you know, that's, that was really a job description. And I went for that. Now it's not the same now, you know, but music is still as, as important. In fact, I'd say it might be more important because as you know, the constant presence of it on our computer screens, um, the need for it, people need to myth mythologize it. And I, I did the same thing. And so here I am talking about it on the, I guess on the other end of it, but I'm still doing it for a while. Yeah. You know, I'm not done yet, but certainly on the other end of, of, of the process. So tell And what I'd say to that kid is just like, you know, man, if it's really strange, look around you, like dreams can come true. Like if you're the right kind of person and you just have the right attitude and you're blithe enough and just kind of naive, that stuff will come true. So always be ready for that and learn how to be, I know this sounds trite, but learn how to be a better person kind of, but learn that your character is going to be the thing that people are going to remember. Right. That's just kind of a lesson. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I think this comes from somebody as you, you might guess. I had some character flaws I've had to like really, you know, correct, you know, but I just say that that kind of stuff, but regardless, I, again, that's the, that, that describes a singer songwriter, every, everyone I know. Yeah, every singer songwriter wouldn't be a good one. It seems like unless they're so tell, kind of a tell us dig, dig a little deeper about like uh, about your early days. Where did you have aspirations to like be in a band, or was it always to be a band leader, or was it? I mean, how did this? How did songwriting? I come think about, it was. You know? I, well, I think it was inevitable because I, for some reason, I had it in my head that I was going to be a, a musician. And I never told anyone. It's kind of strange, you know. I went to high school had a guitar and wrote some songs, but no, I never said to anyone, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to join a band and be a rock star. I just did it in my bedroom. And I did that when I lived in Lawrence, Kansas, I, I moved there for, to, for school. And then I moved to New York and I kept doing it. And eventually I had enough demos and four track demos that I got a record deal, but I hadn't really even played live that much. I did some live shows in Lawrence, Kansas when I lived there, but not really, not really in the way that, like since then I moved to Nashville, I moved to Austin. I met guys who are my age who were in bands when they were 13, work in bands, yeah, 14, yeah. you know? And I realized, oh, that's a whole different kind of, you know, re I really respect those guys, man. You know, real like journeyman, like 
music is their, you know, their dad was in the biz, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I came up the opposite. So when I moved to New York, I had my day job and my four track. And I'd go to my day job and I'd make my four track tapes. Finally, my, my demos got out to a journalist who gave them to Bar None Records. Right. Uh, I didn't even, I, I hadn't even played a gig. I didn't even play gigs. I didn't know where to, I wouldn't even know what to do in New York. I had a day job. Where was I going to get a gig, you know? So I got this call on uh, my landline, of course. No email. It wasn't any email. It was yeah. a call like, hey, Bar None Records, you know, we really like your stuff. Come to Hoboken and see us. Anyway, and that, 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 that's kind of what happened was I, I went from a home demo guy to a person playing live shows and learning how to do that. And then I got a record deal. And that was very, this is the, this, this is the description. I, I was backwards. I learned on the job, right. you know, making the first record in Hoboken. Yeah, because I, and, I, I and mean, the second record. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I mean, because uh, this, this is the first time that I'm hearing this, uh, hearing you describe it as, as such, but you would think that a lot of musicians would, you know, try and be in a band first and maybe they'd write songs with their band. Oh man, are you kidding maybe me? They'd try and make it together. It's really the total, you know? It was totally the way to do it. And I realized that early on, when I was, let's say I was 21, living in Lawrence, working at restaurants, dropped out of school, I tried to play in a couple of bands. I wasn't very good because I wasn't a very good musician. And I was a rather difficult person to deal with. I didn't want to compromise at all. And um, I was really into this punk band, The Fall. Uh-huh. And I wanted to do stuff really rough. And the guys I played with didn't want to do stuff rough. So anyway, so it wasn't working out. And so when the four track came out, the, the Fostex, it wasn't a, even a Fostex. It was a Vestax brand, mm-hmm. off brand. At the local uh, music store uh, there in Lawrence, I saw it. I said, oh my God, this this is the, this is for me, you know. I, I bought it on time. If you believe that, I gave the guy fifty bucks down, yeah, and paid him every week for my restaurant job. And, and I started making those these demos, and that was my goal. I was going to be like, you know, who like Prince, yeah. You know, Prince was Prince was big then. You know, it's like I'm going to do my own shit, man. You know, I was like, and so that's really how, where it started was my inability to kind of vibe with other musicians. I don't know right. what it was. It was something that I guess I would say this thing again to the to this uh, uh, theoretical musician, if she's listening, yeah, you know, it's like, follow your follow your thing. Don't listen to what other people think you should do. Like in my case, here I am talking to my my former self saying, darn it, I wish you could have learned to to play with other musicians and gotten along with them. Well, I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. So really, like at, at that time, it was best for me to just like realize, well, I'm not into this thing. Right. I don't I'm just I don't want I don't care about, you know, so anyway. So if someone's being told that by their bandmates, oh, you're difficult to work with. It's like, well, maybe you are. You can you can certainly do it your own self these days. And. So that's the story there. That, that, that is I as I started doing four tracks and moved to New York City with this dream of making a record. That's why when Can You Fly came out, because when Trouble Tree came out, you know, it was a first record. It was really, I got to admit, I'm lucky. I was lucky to be in baseball, as they say. Like, that's pretty, you know, it's an indie indie first record. Some people were like, what the Trouble hell is this? Trouble Tree is a very good record. See, people like, so that's fine. But but then Can You Fly came out and it was legit, you know. We really, the band was good. The songs were more developed. And, uh, you know, Mark helped put, Mark put together a really good, crew yeah, of yeah. people anyway 
the people back in Lawrence, Kansas, when Kenya Fly came out and got all the press, were like, who, who, like literally, like who are, who is this guy from from Lawrence? Oh, yeah. that was Fred. Oh, you mean that that pothead guy that worked at the Cornucopia? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, he's like. So anyway, that's what happened, and uh, that was very, in a way, it was rewarding for me not rewarding or strange for me. I realized, wow, I really did. I, I kind of made it. Yeah. Th that was, that's still the thing for me. I, I still, those, my last days of my day job, when Can You Fly was getting, you know, this notice all of a sudden, like nationwide notice. And I still had a day job. Those were my happiest days. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, cause I still had a, a steady job. Life was good. And all of a sudden, like my musician friends in, when I was living in Hoboken, they were like treating me very differently. I all mean, of a sudden I, I was just and they, they treat, started people trying yeah they started treating me very differently they were like taking me seriously no they wouldn't normally take me seriously at all yeah for a good reason like the people from yola tango for example who, you know, friends of mine you know ira and georgia they're really nice but they wouldn't even like i'd see them they would maybe wave or something in the pet and before can you fly yeah but then after when can you fly came out they're like hi hi freddy like yeah. they actually would say my name yeah. which was really nice i realized oh wow i actually arrived so so i must admit that was my highest point and i am actually good with that part of it as well talking to the young musician again because yeah. you see it happen with so many artists maybe not with neil young or paul mccartney or guys who have these careers but a lot of times you're gonna have a high point and that's it you know you'll have some other high points but you'll look back and say well that was the best time it's like well okay there you go you know it's like an nfl player it's like yeah, man, the 2006 season, that was my season. Right. So I, I really enjoy thinking about it like that. Like, you don't get that. You don't get to be, not everybody gets to be uh, Bruce. Bruce yeah, Apple, yeah. What, anyway. what was it like to make trouble? And even Bruce, like he had, his, he had his heyday. Yeah, of course, of course. Oh, what was it like? Yeah, well, so, so you t you're telling us that, you know, you're, you're kind of painting this picture of, you know, the... Um, you're kind of the lone, the lone songwriter, the lone musician, and then here you are. Now you're making a record. You get to make a record with Bar None. So is this the first record yeah. you've made? And and if so, is this the first time that you're like yeah. interacting with other musicians in the studio and asking them? It was rough. You know? Yeah, it was it was rough at first. It, it ended up that's it ended up really well because Chris Butler and James McMillan, good friends of mine, the engineer and the producer Chris Butler, uh, James the engineer became really good friends uh we started a band actually we were called the know-it-all boyfriends the first incarnation of this band the know-it-all boyfriends i have a current i mean a current band for 20 years now actually with butch big and duke uh in madison called the know-it-all boyfriends we poached the name i made it up so i could poach it regardless nice i remember the first time the first times we got to record i had a producer i was paired with the producer and the engineer and given recording time by bar none which was negotiated with water music as free time. So it was like 8 PM to 4 AM. You know yeah. what I mean? Just terrible. And so I remember the first night I, I, I admit it. I mean, I'm, I cried. I, I wept real tears. Cause I got there at 8 PM thinking we'll be done by two. I got to go to work in the morning. Yeah. It's three 30 and they're still like doing this, like, you know, it's whatever the they're doing. I, I don't know. It's what they're, they're, they're just like, doing the replaying the same part again and again. I'm like, I, I never been in that environment again before. And I was tired. You know, I just, just remember laying on the couch. There's thinking, this is, this is really, this can't go on. This can't, cause this is not how I recorded at home. 
I was used to making all these demos and um, the way I still do them. Yeah. Really fast and, you know, no edits and stuff. Regardless. So, so that was the first night and it, and it ended up going really well. I just had to learn. And um, by the time we, we did, can you fly again, if you can believe it. And this is with respect for Glenn, like if you see this, like, you know, I'm friends with Glenn. Um, he was doing his best. He would always, can you fly was also, he would get us cheap time. He would all, what am I saying? Are you, are you, referring, so you're referring to Glenn? He would give us cheap, he, he, would, he, would give, he would give us, Glenn Morrow from Barton, he right. would give us cheap time to save himself money. Anyway, I shouldn't be, I was basically castigating myself for saying like, he wasn't doing you a favor. Anyway, but he's a good guy. But he was giving us the free time that he would get from Water Music. So can you fly? Once again, we were recording at night, though not for all of it. I think Mark did get him to give us some, some, day, some weekend days. Um, but I definitely recall too many times doing that. And I've learned since, again, this is, work info for the people who want to get in the biz you're going to have certain hours of the day you're going to realize even if you're just a writer musician where you're better absolutely and like i realized that that the hours from 7 p.m till midnight unless there's a gig on like i'm not going to be able to work in the studio it's very strange how the gig gives you this i mean i don't care you know the gig will give you adrenaline rush and you'll make it but if i'm working in the studio I try to be done by seven or eight because the body just says, okay. Um, but regardless, so that, that that's how that went. And uh, that is a anyway. great point, by the way, with, which I've never really put my thumb on, you know, about, about um, kind of like your natural, you know, your natural uh, being in sync with your natural energy, you know, but, but well, I, that's part of it. Yeah. 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 The, the, the other thing that, I got into early on, which was good because they were trying to save money and trying to save time. There was a real atmosphere of we got to get this done and we need to work hard at this and get this rather than later on in my career, it was, hey, how you feeling? You feeling good? Yeah. You want, you want to make some music? We don't have to do it right now. You know, yeah, you yeah. want to take five? You know, yeah. it's just like looking for the magic. Yeah. And in early on, it was like, go out, do, do the magic, kid. You know, you got five minutes, do your magic. Yeah. And so that, that was an early thing because that's how I worked at home. If I felt like recording, I'd record, Yeah, you know, but in the studio you're doing it. And that was something to learn. Actually, I absolutely had to learn that. And I did, you learn how to turn it on any performer does. And I love being in the studio now because I can really do a good job because I know what, what to do. But, uh, but early on that was, that was really, um, it was trial by fire. And, and luckily went pretty well, I would say, you know, overall my introduction to the studio, because I, I did learn that, yeah, well, it sounds a lot better, you know, when the pros do it and all this, you know, it's great to play with a band, a real drummer and all this. Right, right. Well, well, talking and about getting, talking about getting, uh, you know, uh, cheap or free studio time, uh, you, you also got a very young John Sickett. Uh, yeah. Album as well, right? I mean. Johnny kind of just getting into the business as well. John and I, John and I have been through ups and downs, man. And uh, he's been on a lot of side projects of mine from the day that, that first day I, I, I was there for the first day he started. He's also done. We did some recordings, you and I and Graham yeah. a couple years ago. Before that, he did a couple of special projects. Anyway, I know John really well. So I've seen him from the, from day one, you know, he's, he uh, is a, 
and Graham. Yeah. Very, you know, constant people and yourself. You're constant in, in, uh, which is good, good to see. It's good to feel that, you know, the people I'm still working with, Jared, Shram. Yeah. Um, it was a good time. So you, so that, that was, yeah. Really back in. So a couple, couple things you mentioned your apartment in Hoboken. Was that your apartment on Willow street? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, I have had this memory of uh, maybe we were, we were rehearsing in, in your apartment or, you know, maybe I had a snare yeah. in a hi-hat or something, but you, I think I remember seeing your home recording setup and were, 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 were you, were you using a cardboard box as a, as a bass drum? Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had a real snare and hi-hat and a real pedal actually. A Yamaha pedal, but just a cardboard box. Yes. Yeah. I saw the guys in the subway doing it. It was working yeah. fine for them. Well, I'm, no, I was going to ask you about that because because um, you're uh, uh, again being that you were recording your own demos and you say you recorded them quickly. So you you what did you do? You you just put together a quick trap set. You got a bass. What did you do? Like, how, did you lay down a guitar? Yeah, I I bought. I had the four track. I bought a Vitter four track. I bought a Yamaha. A nice one, which I which I still had actually is a two speed four track a cassette. Right, it was quite high fi. Um, the, the 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 that's like seven inches a second, you know. So that's like real to real speed. Yeah. But the um uh, um, what am I trying to say? I also had a Roland drum machine, and so I would program the kick drum patterns often, and then play along with that. So there'll be rolling kick and then, you know, snare and hi-hat. I do that a lot um, because I really was, um, I look back now and I just, you know, it was clearly in me. It's all I wanted to do was get home from work, smoke weed and write songs and record them. It was, it was fantastic life. Yeah. And, and like I said, I look back on my, on my days there as, as golden, but you can't think that way, but that's what I would do. Um, and, uh, I remember when I would number them, you know, like one through like every cassette and I would look at them a little, as little records. I still have them all. Of course I'd get about four or five songs on a cassette and I got up to number 20. I remember getting up to number 20 and I was living in Queens and I just got in the barn and thing. I said, oh, I think this is my last one. You know, I'm not, I'm going done with the demos. So start done with it. And I just about filled up this briefcase that held sets. So I was like, I got to 20 and then I stopped. I don't think I ever made it number 21. I moved on to not numbering them, just doing them individually. I started doing the, the songs on individual sets. Maybe it was like a professional thing. Yeah. Or I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make it such a, a precious thing that I had my little library. Yeah. You know? So that's the story there. I, I, I did a record called The Way I Were which a lot of people said, not a lot of people, a couple of people said, oh man, you put out these, they're really early demos of mine. That's, you know, like my friend Jay said, oh, that's not very good, man. You shouldn't have put that out. Well, it's not very good, but some of it's pretty good, but those are where you can hear those recordings right. on the way I were. Is that, is that and some of them, pretty, is that available to yeah, it's still, it, I think it's still streaming. Yeah. It, um, I own it. I own all that stuff again. The, um, I know it's, it was on CD. I'll have to check if it's if it's streaming. Yeah. Uh, um, 
anyway, the, those songs were at the time, this is how it worked for me. I'd get a song in my head and it wouldn't leave and I'd be at work and I'd be thinking about it and I'd be really excited and I'd get home and I'd record it, write some lyrics, finish it. And then I would immediately like disown it or something would happen. I'd just be like the next morning, I'd be like, ah, God, what a failure, what a failure. And then yeah. I wouldn't listen, you know, and I'd start on, I'd be on the, on the, the bus to, to, through the Lincoln tunnel again, thinking up another song, you know, like, Oh, I got to make a better one than that. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, obviously then after a week or two or a month or whatever, I'd listen back to the thing I'd done and like it, but I would never like it immediately. That's something I got used to, like I said earlier, but if musicians have to just adjust to their own temperament, I had to adjust to that. Right. It's like, I, I was never going to just feel like, wow, I knocked that out of the, it wasn't so much the song. It was the recording. Right. You know, it was like, I wanted to get it perfectly and I wasn't going to start over. So um, that's kind of what I mean, if that makes more sense. It's yeah, like, I didn't course. disown the songs fully, but I was like, well, shit, I'm not going to start doing that again, but I'll move on. And, yeah. and eventually it, it did result in, in getting in, in your ears getting better. I've definitely, I think kids now have so much more access to gear. Their ears are probably better anyway. So do you think Everybody there's does something video podcasts now and stuff? Do you, you know? do you think there's something to be said for, you know, just plowing through those and instead of obsessing over, you know, song number two and three and, and four and trying to make them better and better and better. But the idea of just like writing another song tomorrow and writing another song the next day and writing another song, you know, recording yeah. that one and so on, like just kind of like building up the muscle, you know, of, of, of writing recording. It's building up the muscle. It's learning. It is. And it's learning. If it's like, I don't know enough about songwriting to know if what I did is good or not. It's just like throwing the stuff against the wall. Kind of, I realized that. Right. And some of it came out really well, but it was just really like, well, I don't know what to do here now. Honestly, I've been doing it for a few decades. I kind of have an idea like what, at least in a kind of classic sense, you know, what you would do in a, to the next thing in a song, you know? Right. But back then I was like, I don't even know. Um, I mean, now, it's there's a lot of it that's the same like with any job like with your person a person's personality even you know like if you could meet yourself at five years of age or yourself at, at 50 you'd probably see real similarities right. the same way with working it's like I, the same i work on songs kind of the same way i did from day one i just get some thing in my head that won't go away and i want to kind of um what is it i want to make it real Cause I want to, I, honestly, I want to make myself happy. It sounds yeah. kind of dumb. But it's like, I want it to be real so I can listen to it and be happy yeah, yeah. rather than like um, thinking, Oh, I, well now I, I listen to it. I think about, I want other people to be happy. Yeah, yeah. But when I first did them, it was sort of like, I didn't have any crowd. And so I just wanted to really like, I want to do something that's really cool here. Now I, uh, now, now it's really the same motivation, but I realized, well, there are people who are going to listen to this. Right. Another thing I think I don't want to skip the track too much, but one thing I certainly learned because I didn't play stuff for that many people was when I was listening to my own music demos in the presence of another person for the first time, it changed the way they sounded, the way the demos sounded. It freaked me out. It was a psychological, uh, 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 you know, obviously a, a tick that happens, but I was like, oh shit. Or the first time I did a song when I'd start doing shows live. 
and I'd written a song and recorded the demo. I thought I knew it. And I got up and on a stage and played it in front of people. I realized, Oh, I haven't even heard the song yet. <laughs> so there's a real thing there that, um, you think you, you know, you think, you know, and maybe some people do know, maybe Jeff Lynn, for example, knows, you yeah. know, he just did his goal and he doesn't need to try it out in front of other people. Tom Petty, whatever, you know, the late Tom Petty. But anyway, in my case, it's always different and not even, not just, not just performing, just someone in the room hearing it. Um, it's not the same if you send somebody an MP3, you know, then right. there's, but if you, if you like something about it, I, I know, I don't know what it would be. I'm sure it's just, you know, it's a trick of the mind. Obviously. Right. I was, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, so these demos that you have or, or that you are uh, cataloging, do you, do you have, are they all full songs or do you have any that are like little bits or pieces of, uh, you know, a verse here or an untitled riff here, you know, and, and then do you, do you have bits and pieces floating around of your ideas? Those, um, those came later after I actually was the real, like I actually realized I was doing it. And those exist on little mini cassettes, you know, the little yeah. tiny um, dictaphone things. Yeah. I have lots of those. And on cassette too, I would just, I, I, I have lots of them, but they only started after I started making records for and some have, reason. Have you, have you relied on any of that? You know, have you gone back and like, I've been through those things a lot. They are gold mine. I have them on my phone now for the past 10 years. They've been on my phone. I've lost some, which makes me very sad, but, um, they're all, all my new song. I've got, you know, I just did a new record, but, yeah. I, but now I have a dozen, a dozen other songs that were waiting in line to be done. And all of those, I'm sure I could trace back to some kind of first phone idea, or maybe, maybe they're even old enough to have been a dictaphone idea. Cause a lot of the songs are really old, but yes, that's, I have to work that way. Cause that's another important point, which I'm sure that, you know, musicians will, you would learn, but maybe hearing it makes you learn it quicker. If you get a music idea, at least from my, my experience, a music and lyric or melody idea, you better catch it. You'll never get it again. And it might be really unique and it might be really good. Yeah. Cause sometimes, you know, I finished, I finished songs and people have said, wow, that's really a great musical thing. I've always loved that in your song. What about it? Well, it was an idea I had once and I, I luckily hummed it into a recorder. Otherwise I would have forgot it too. Yeah. Something like this perfect world or something, you know? And so they're invaluable to me. I know when an idea comes, I know by now, you know, I'll go like, Oh, and I'll be back to it. And somehow they, uh, the, again, the muscle, like you talked about, you know, the, the, the mental muscle that you have to exercise. I think it came with me wanting to be a musician anyway, and always thinking about being, but I can remember my melodies in a weird way, in a weird Rain Man kind of way. Like, you know, I have, I can look at a list of them, of, of these little, little scratch names for them. It's like, oh, I know that one. Oh, that right. one's from like the 80s. Oh, I know that weird to me in a way that they're still cataloged meaning there's like that those are old song ideas and they're still there so i'm lucky in that regard i'll always i'll, I'll die with with the unfinished stuff like any songwriter i'm lucky for that it hasn't really stopped are those are changed, those you know? ideas both lyric ideas like does a a, a phrase come to you that you have to 
you know, uh, speak into your voice notes or is it more like a melody idea comes to you that you have to do, you know? Well, it's generally weighted as a weighted. It's generally a melody uh, um, groove idea, guitar groove and melody. Gotcha. With maybe one, with maybe a word, but the word is more important as like the the implication of the word, like the phonetic side, yeah. And how it, you know, because words are just it's just like caveman stuff, you know. Ooh, yeah. uh, 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 you know, so so and and having read a lot of interviews, that's a really very common way of working. You know, it's yeah. really I'm it's nothing new. I'm not inventing anything. It's just the way I I tend to to fall into it. I just learned early on to record the things because I was I was not recording them and I'd, I'd say I'll, I'll, I'd say to myself I'll, I'll remember that later and I wouldn't yeah you know and and realize wow I'm darn lost a song there you know and and this is this is when I was actually a songwriter then I realized well I gotta remember these it, it kind of matters now because but then as far as the first recordings the, the number ones I I did finish them I didn't do I wasn't really like doing I was I was too timid. I just wanted like, okay, we got a song here. We're gonna do the bass track, but I'm gonna try to be clever. You know, I was trying to do something that was clever. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted I played. You know, I I just wanted to be able to play it for someone and say, oh, that's funny. You know, there's a little bit of a you know jokey thing when you're younger when you're, you know, you know the weight of the world on your shoulders. Yeah. There's no maybe there's no mystery maybe that that I ended up on the they might be giants label. You know, could be. Yeah. There. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, you kind of answered my, one of my next questions, because I was going to ask you, you've you probably gotten this question a million times, but, you know, what comes first, music or lyrics? And, I mean, do you ever get that great hook and great groove, and then you're like, shit, I, I don't know what, I mean, what am I trying to say in this song? I mean, or does that stuff just flow for you, or do, does it just come? Yeah, you know, it's terrible. Through? It's terrible for me. I just finished a record, and... It was a real clog in my brain. I got the record done, but I was having trouble finishing the lyrics. You know, I have to admit the songs are years old. Yeah. And I finished them, but it was just like they're. I'm not sure what the deal. I mean, I'm going like. I'm moving in a in a couple of weeks. Moving next door here. And I'm, I'm going to have some slack time. I'm going on a trip. I don't have I don't have any gigs lined up. It's like, the the difficulties I had writing the lyrics made me realize like. Okay, I've got to go see some humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't done it. I mean, I mean, listen, man, this is the third pandemic. Year for, it's like I, I'm pretty good at isolating. It's like oh, I'm way too good at it. Right. Um. So, but but as far as that relates to the lyric writing, I realized I've got to go see people. Like when I went to Hoboken to do some gigs last October, I saw more activity and life and potential song ideas in my morning walk in Jersey City. Yeah. You know, yeah. Than I see. Yeah in a couple months out here in Joshua tree. And that's just normal, you know, so yeah. I, I miss that. But the, um, uh, but was, you know, as far as writing songs, it's really normal to do it that way. I think I've met song songwriters and I really admire them. I truly admire them. I never figured out how they did it. Like uh, John D Graham who mm -hmm. write out a text. They write out a text and then they put music to it. It's like, what? That's just like, I don't understand it. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like building something upside down, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Um, 
I did want to ask you about your guitar playing because um, I've, I've got like kind of two things I want to talk about or ask you about. But one is um, how do you, I mean, do you view your guitar as like the vehicle by which you get your songs out? Or, I mean, is there, um, or did you ever set down to like, you know, practice guitar and like, you know, improve technically at it? Or how do you see your guitar? How do you see your guitar play? And the reason that I'm asking you this, I mean, it's, this could be a multi-part question, is because A, your guitar playing is excellent and you're very assertive in your guitar playing. And, um, and B, what I, what I personally really appreciate about your guitar playing and much of your songs is that you definitely are not afraid to play rock and roll. You know, you are, you're not afraid you're, you're not the singer songwriter who's like afraid to play, who's like afraid to rock, you know? And um, so anyway, where do you see your guitar playing in all of this, like in your songwriting and your playing and stuff like that? Well, I'm glad you like my playing. Thank you. The, uh, I've, I've been doing it long enough. I better know how. I've got my own thing by now, but it was based on, obviously, I mean, as, as reedy and weird as my voice sounds early, early on, I don't think I would have done it being a musician unless I had some basic talent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have made it certainly not on my damn looks, you know, and not on my ambition. Um, so I think that I naturally, I had naturally good rhythm and just ideas for songs, you know? And so that translated into me being able to play guitar better because I could, you know, hear it in my head. But it was just as hard to learn for me as it was for anyone, you know, like uh, it's really a long term thing. It took a long time to get to certain levels of being able to do things. And now, well, you know, obviously it's been decades enough that I can thankfully enjoy it and do it without thinking. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. don't even think about it. It's, it's I've gotten that far. But I it's I, I think it was because I had to. One thing I would say is that early on, everybody I met was a better guitar player. Mm -hmm. And I, all these singer songwriters I would see and still see is like, I can't believe how good they are. I just like, it blows my mind. Everybody's like, like Jason Isabel or it's all these monsters. And I was always like, I'm sorry. These are the only chords I know, you know? Yeah. And so I just was for a long time, just a basic rhythm player, but I knew the chords I wanted to play and I uh, have long fingers. So I could do some funky chords, like right. on tearing down this place and stuff. Right. It took a long time. Well, and also, like you said about the rock thing, it was really the, you know, the punk era, man. You know, it's really, I need to rock out more. You know, it was yeah. like my favorite band is, still is, is uh, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, but anyway. No. But but it's it took a lot. It took a long time before I could. In fact, a really long time. I used to be able to see for I could do these little riffs that I would see other guitar players do that would just blow my mind. Like I'd see my like guitar Cameron or, or Mark Spencer, Jimmy Lee. I'd see him just like tuning up their guitar and just doing these things. I'd be like, Oh my God, that sounds like, you know, the greatest guitar player in the world. Yeah. And then I realized after a few years, Oh, I can do that. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's And yet, so somebody else must be hearing that and going like, wow. Right. You know, so the, so the, so the guitar really can, you don't take it for granted, but you realize, well, you can do that. You know, some of the most amazing, the expressive sounds, you know, you've heard other players do with enough time. Yeah. 
it just took a long time for me to get there where I can noodle around like I can do a solo now, which I never would have done yeah. for decades. And, and you see people do, like like Bob, you know, the Bob, Bob Dylan, like he plays guitar solos now after decades, of course. Yeah. Warren Zevon, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so that's my that's the story on my playing. It was not something that was there uh, from day one. I did not take lessons or any of that stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. I just bought a guitar, bought a guitar through the mail, like they say, you know. Did you buy? Did you buy a Sears guitar? I wish I had. It'd probably be worth more. No, it, uh, I bought a, a an Ovation, a a, a a a really nice Ovation actually. I mean, that's kind of an oxymoron. I'm sorry for you Ovation lovers out there, but a really nice Ovation is still an Ovation, still a salad bowl, yeah. and. And yet it was a, it was a great guitar to start on. I traded it for a, a Martin Sigma, not a Martin Martin, but a Martin Sigma. So I traded up uh, when I moved to college town, the college town of Lawrence. But it, uh, I lived in a small town and there was no music store there in Kinsley. And the nearest one was about 50 miles away. And I didn't have a car. This sounds just like, you know, such a dusty old story, but it's true. And so uh, I would spend all my money that I made painting houses on stereo gear because that's just what, and weed. That's just the way I, I was, that was going to be the way my life went, you know? Yeah. And my mother was, didn't have much hope for me, you know, and that's whatever. It didn't matter to me. Um, and I, in the stereo magazine, I would buy stuff from a, a place called Stereo Discounters in uh, Delaware. And they had these catalogs that now now i could step back in time i wish i could have buy all the 70s audio gear that they yeah. had for sale they would like all these really nice you know these uh uh, uh jvl speakers and and um like a big like a big receiver like a big stereo huge sansui you know? receivers yeah. really nice it's kenwood really, receivers yeah, and 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 so i bought i bought all this huge stuff i had huge stereo 70s that my mother, she couldn't believe it. She's like, you bought, why did you buy this? Anyway, they had one issue. They had guitars on the back page. And I was like, what's a guitar? Yeah. Like, what are they doing selling guitars through the mail? I just didn't even think. And just immediately I thought, I've got the money in the bank. I've got like the, you know, three or 400 bucks in the bank. Boom. Got the money order and uh, sent it, sent it in the mail. Didn't tell anybody, of course. And uh, one Saturday morning, I remember it really well. I'm glad I remember it so clearly. It's not one of these false memories, you know. It's yeah. I just remember it really well. Sunny Kansas morning, green, and the UPS truck, just like today, the same UPS truck, same driver, if you can believe it. It's 78, 77, pulls up and gets out of the back this box that's shaped like a coffin, you know, like a guitar box without a case. They look like a coffin kind of. Small at one, a trapezoid, the smaller at one end. And I... My heart just like, because I knew when he stopped, I was like, oh, shit, is this my thing? Yeah. And he got this coffin out. And I'll always, when I, I remember when I first told, told the story on stage, just how funny it was. I, I kind of didn't didn't get the whole joke, you know, that like, yeah, there's your coffin, boy. Get yeah. used to it. <laughs> but I remember that very well. And I remember that moment, like, very well, because I was in trouble immediately. Because my mother was in, in the kitchen and she said, what's going on? I said, oh, nothing. I went outside and got it. And I came and she said, she said what's that? I said, is that a guitar? You know, so I had to whisk it upstairs. She said, why did you buy it? You know, just all this like, oh, you damn fool, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
and that's fine. Later on, this is a true story. You know, after being called, just you know, we're not called a damn fool, but just thought of as that, I'm sure, um, for being a foolish, long-haired, pot-smoking musician, which is pretty much the way to look at a kid like that, you know, unless they're going to really do it. Anyway, I paid for her kitchen renovation a few years later. So, you know, that's kind of ironic. There you go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, and actually uh, less than 20 years later, I would say. So so in, in 94, I paid for her kitchen renovation with that very same guitar, life ending guitar. Yeah. But I do remember it, it arriving and um, being overwhelmed and, and, and not knowing jack, jack shit about it. I had a younger brother who's, who was a musician. And he kind of knew how to play guitar, but I, you know, we, we kept our stuff separate. I didn't play his guitar. You know, he was yeah, yeah. two years younger and he was in band and stuff. And <clears throat> I just, I just started, started playing, yeah. you know, the long, the long road to, to somehow getting your fingers where you see those dots on the fretboard. You're yeah, like, yeah. there's no way anybody can do that. Yeah. I know there's somebody right now listening to this podcast thinking bar chords. There's no way people can really do those. Yeah, well, you can, you know, you'd be amazed. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. still not there. My, my, my hands, my left hand kills me after I do bar chords, and I just realized, like, oh, it's playing tough, man. drums, like, if you do it every day, and you know, but like when I, when I see way. a guitar player playing bar chords, they sound so good, you know, and there's, you get so much out of bar chords, except for when I'm playing guitar, so, you know. It's, it is truly what you say about uh, uh, the muscle memory. Like I, you know, I play drums on my demos, but only once in a while. So my, my drumming muscles aren't good. You yeah. know what I mean? Ain't no way, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tire out after three minutes and I won't get, keep good time or that kind of, if I practiced every day, you know, right. um, I get better. So, so that, that's just, that's just the way that goes, man. I, I would say that luckily, like, I'm sure you've learned this with drumming you sort of uh, turn a corner one day and you realize, wow, I'm not even thinking about this anymore. Right. You know, I'm not really learning anything anymore. Um, I mean, you're learning chords and stuff and learning stuff, but you're not really feeling inadequate. I'm right. sure you learned, you felt that way with drumming one day. And that's, that's been good for me. That, that actually, the other corner that I turned was doing my demos was learning to take. Um, once I had my first, my own baseline on a record. Because you know sometimes because bass lines are are often the the identifying character of a song or the identifying riff of a song. Yeah. So, you know that's a corner to to turn when a guitar player says, "Well, yeah, I'm a bass player too." You know, because not all guitar players should say that. Or like you know, when a musician says, "Yeah, I'm a producer too," it's like, "Well, are you really a producer?" Yeah. You know, it's like you got to earn it. So I I've, I've earned bass player and guitar player. That's it, and singer obviously. But I don't claim any other, uh, you know, instrument. And yeah. I think that's that's pretty normal. I have a tenor guitar, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's certainly that's, maybe that's certainly enough, Freddie. You know, that's enough, man. Um, that it, is certainly enough. You know, the uh, um, and within that, it's certainly enough. You can get by with just three chords within that. Yeah, you know, it can be Hank Williams. I, I did want I did want your take on a couple a couple things. Um, one is like, what about some songs? Like, what are what are some benchmark songs that really like kind of like 
got your juices flowing, like whether it's from when you were younger or, or even now. I mean, um, like for instance, like I, I find myself going back constantly and like finding a song that maybe I dismissed as not being good, you know, uh, much earlier in life. And now I appreciate it a lot more or just like a song like, wow, I really could have, I really could have investigated this a little more, you know, but there are definitely some benchmark songs in, I don't know, in, in our lives, in, in our, in our musical careers. So are, do you have any, like, for instance, so, so I, I could, I could lead you because I know that you and I spoke about Steve, Mill, Steve Miller's The Joker, like, that seems to be like a benchmark song, you know? Yeah. Well, with the early, there's the period, the early seventies, when I first got an FM radio, I was living with my grandparents and, uh, I took my grandfather's FM radio tabletop. He, he wasn't using it, you know? So I took it into my room and used it. And that Joker period, 72 or so was when I f first got into music, totally nostalgic. You know, the following comments are totally nostalgic and blah, 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 but that's just the way it was. I've looked back at the top 40 lists from that year because I was trying to figure out when, like, Jen, Benny, I wrote a, I wrote a thing about Benny and the Jets. Right. Oh, what a great little, song. Yeah. Some online guy wanted a, a thing about, he wanted the story of when I first heard Benny and the Jets or something like that. So I had to look when it was number one. And the, and the, uh, the charts for that date because of there was only one radio station were amazing. They were so all over the place, like the Ballad of the Green Berets or yeah. Deep Purple, and then the Joker, and then Anne Murray, anything pop, Sonny, Sonny and Cher, uh, 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 Ray Stevens, The Streak, you know, that kind of stuff, all on the same station. Yeah. And so that's what I remember hearing was absolute chaos and loving it, like David Essex, Rock up. Well, first of all, just to oh answer God, the question yeah. more roundabout, <clears throat> rock. Up. I I was a really big fan of music from early on, but not a big fan of songs because I didn't understand the you know the words. I was into the 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 groove and the vibe and the whatever I thought the song was about. I always had the words wrong. I remember getting always made fun of with driving around seventies and it's in you know Kansas and we're we're smoking a doobie like in the big purple fruit flavored pa papers, you know, and stuff. And I'm singing in the backseat, the wrong lyrics to an Aerosmith song or something. Cause yeah. that's, cause I heard it differently, you know, always. And it's like, oh, you stupid motherfucker. That's not what it is. Like, oh, so that's the guy I was. Cause yeah. I just didn't care about the words. Yeah. It was, so my favorite songs are about the music. Uh, you know, the words often were pretty, pretty great, but that they would be, um, off and over my head like yeah. the uh, american pie was really big mm -hmm. and that's a complicated <clears throat> illusion you know that whole song illusion yeah. with an a and uh now i like it more then yeah, i was too. just like well what yeah that, that, man think, that's a lot yeah. of words but 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 as, but as far as like favorite songs i remember then and i hear it now knowing what i liked and why like the joker by steve miller yeah, like we talked about the other day, the uh, personality in the in the track between the bass player and the drummer make that track, and I recognized that at the age of twelve. Yeah, it's like the, the drummer is just like he's fuck, he's messing around, he's not taking it seriously, but it's perfect for the track. It's almost like 
as a professional drummer, you know, it's like, that's not really how you're supposed to do the take. Yeah. It's like, he's just, <clears throat> it changes feel. He's just hitting the crashes around, but it's perfect. And it hits a groove that make makes the song. It was a number one hit. God, you could not go anywhere and not hear that song. And it's just, uh, forget about the words. And, and like I said before, my favorite band, Led Zeppelin, forget about the words. Yeah. So I, I have often wondered about that because I'm a words guy. I get really mad if I finish a song and I didn't get all the words just right. Right. And then it's too late. And it had, like on the last record, I would have liked to change a few lines. It was like, you know, out of time. And yeah. and it never seems to matter, you know. Yeah. But I but I know that what I really like is music. Yeah. And the music of a you know that that brings those words to you. You know, if you get me, it's like I it's like I can't see my own work so it's like it's it's obscured from me it's when someone says oh i love that song blah, blah, blah. i always assume they like the lyrics and often they don't even know the lyrics yeah it's like what they like is the bass line yeah well i guess i guess uh people are drawn in by different things right so maybe for some it's a guitar solo for like for instance the song rock on dave it, isn't that song uh, doesn't that song vocal have like a lot of echo like very echoey. Uh, oh, it's all about a. It's yeah. all about the production. It's a yeah. vibe thing. It's just like a. It's just. It's one of those moments. Another one that was my favorite song at the time, like I mentioned, which is a product of the recording. Not so much the song. Maybe if they recorded, as Benny and the Jets. If they yeah. recorded Benny and the Jets differently, it. Um, it's a moment, even though it is a studio moment, you know, and they yeah, I thought, do the, I, they, I, as a kid, I thought it was a live, a live performance. I always did until I was, until I was an adult, I thought it was, it was live and that's good that they do that, but they play it like it's live and, it's, and it probably is. I mean, they're such a good band, but it, um, it never, ever gets old. Even a song that I don't really like the song, but I like the recording a lot and I've heard it so much and still the, Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, great. That track, that track is, if you're an engineer and you want to learn how to make like a rock record, well, just try to try to match that. Try to make, do a Tom Dowd production oh, yeah. and, and get well, everything, get everything sounding uh, that balanced and that ballsy, then you've done your job. Yeah. Um, amazing. Amazing. I'm amazed when I hear, when I hear that stuff and that's what I'm, that's why I'm still glad to be doing my little job i'm still learning i'm gonna to go to the store later and probably at, at uh on the overhead music at vaughn's i'll hear some song that will just oh, from the old yeah. days you know from the 70s 80s and it'll blow my mind and i'll forget about some incredible production thing you know now i'm it's like oh wow i forgot that's so cool you know it's always hearing stuff this and is learning not, or, or, or being reminded right this this is what's great about going back and and listening to music and um a uh, couple, couple things come come to mind, and I want to know what you think about them. But I, I think to me, what's humbling about all of this is that perhaps we were listening to these songs as youngsters, but now when we're much older, I realize how much like maturity and wisdom these songwriters and musicians had. I mean, they were they were kids oh, yeah. like twenty years old, just so playing playing like playing music like grown man and, and i don't know it's very 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 humble. i think about that a lot yeah i think about that a lot when i've watched whatever i uh the just just the clips of the um the get back movie 
Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I realized okay, so these guys in this movie they've already years before written songs that I consider to be like you know basic uh, uh, philosophical foundations of wisdom kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like like they they wrote like foundational songs, yeah. Eleanor Rigby, yeah. or you know we can work it out things and stuff like well the world wouldn't be the same without that paperback right. writer, and yet I realized. If I met them now, I would not take them seriously. They're in their freaking twenties. They don't know, know. shit. And know. so it's really made me realize like, well, there's some kid today who's just writing this deep, profound thing, but doesn't know maybe how deep it is. Yeah. Maybe they did. Maybe I'm I'm being just an old man about it. But um it is surprising to me what, what you can, you know, like like when do you turn into a a a, a real adult and you're you're able to be taken seriously? Maybe it's earlier yeah. than than you think it just just but as far as songwriting you know i don't know i think it's it's a even the best songwriter is going to change and get better with time i would think might not be that way with say i don't know what to say somebody else could be better at their start is what i'm trying to say you know? right a, um i i, um, I wrote down as, some as, as a singer for example <laughs> I, I wrote down some of the songs that you mentioned in, you know, in our recent conversation and, um, but some of their, so other songs came like rock and roll hoochie coo was our, what was a hit around the same time. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, Unbelievable. and actually, so go back and listen to the drum track and well, I did, I don't know if I'm sure other people have noticed it, but the bass drum doesn't play like a, the traditional rock pattern. The guy plays like um, straight, eighth notes on the bass drum the whole almost the whole way through and if if anyone else had done it in the session it would have been like dude what are you doing that's horrible but this guy figured out a made a, a way to make it work i mean the drum the drum track is fabulous on rock and roll Uchiku. but if i did it i would have been a, a thrown out of the you know thrown out of the studio you know somebody knew that's what that's what producers are for you know yeah. and um yeah the uh the, you know um kind of on that in that well first of all just to mention of the are the artists that were really important to me steely dan was my and, and elton john were my two touchstones like i always imagined myself i had this fantasy world i lived in that's i guess that's why i'm a professional musician because i i really did i lived in a fantasy world listening to the radio and i imagined myself on stage and i would be singing versions of like really the years or crocodile rock, whatever. But I would have my, I would always, I hated bridges. So I'd always take out whatever extraneous bridge stuff and extra stuff and be like, why do these people put these damn parts of their songs? Anyway, so that I always had the fantasy of, you know, and, and David Bowie. Yeah. Well, I, I graduated to David Bowie. Really, you know, maybe one of the, the great, the greatest artist in our, in our art form, you know, and I think, obviously, yeah. I think that's a pretty fair statement, actually. Yeah. I think heads and shoulders above anybody but he uh i don't know what, what i was even trying to say about bowie but the just, um there you go man the fans like you know you were talking talking steely dan elton john david bowie these were the bands yeah, steely dan steely dan was the big influence on me for lyrics and then and then the uh so i hadn't really written any songs but then when the elvis costello record came out the first elvis costello record oh, yeah. for some reason i I got it because I read stereo stereo review and Crawl Daddy and stuff. And I got it. And I suddenly understood songs like I, I can do this. 
and I started writing bad songs then. But yeah. that, that's, but uh, uh, up to that time, I hadn't really considered it as any. So it was Elton, it was uh, Elvis Costello who I was first copying. But the the guy who I've seen recently, like recently on TV and doing stuff, um, who I never took seriously, and who now is just so awesome to me, is Joe Walsh. Because even back oh, then he had hits, and I thought, what a joker. And he really was, but he was awesome. And when you see him now live, like he's Daryl's house, who cares how it looks? He's like he's he's partied hard for years. He sounds and plays the same. And live, he sounds like the record. It's just yeah. like, and those songs are hilarious. Like life's been good to me so far. I realize that's like the deepest. Yes, Dylan asked. I mean, it's like, and so I really, you know, when they say you should, you should, the pen should write before they die. It's like. Joe Walsh needs some love, man. Yeah, he know. he is. Uh, yeah, he's got a great sense of humor, and um, what, well, one of my favorite yeah. music documentaries is that Eagles documentary, and um, uh, I, I can't even describe their. I mean, Glenn Fry and Don Henley's personalities are like the very Type A personality, <laughs> but but Joe Walsh and I think I, I I don't know why I'm saying this, but it, within the documentary, I. I feel like he learned, I mean, he was a star in his own right before he even joined that band, but he had to figure out a way to work with this other band, which was interesting to me. I, I don't have any other evidence to support anything else, you know, other than- I think it was probably a little pressure up, a little more pressure off of him from what I understand, because yeah. he was the ringer. Yeah. And uh, uh, the uptightness was gonna be probably with everybody because, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in, a, Especially back then, man, it's a big business, you know. Yeah. Every yeah. every uh, every decision is important. Again, again, I saw an interview with the Eagles right after they did the long run. They were just like little kids. Yeah. I was like, God, these people are so young. Yeah. But Joe Walsh talked about there was a, there was a great episode of uh, uh, the great 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 Paul Schaefer's podcast where he's got Joe Walsh on, and Joe's talking about those days and how it was. He was brought in as like the rock element, you know, yeah. their manager said, you know, you guys need to get out of the country thing. Yeah. And how he was one day. Because I guess Joe must be classically trained. That's that's got to be the way. I think because uh, he, he was doing. He was, I think he was originally a clarinet player. Or because he, he's, a, he's a wrong, real serious musician. <laughs> Pardon me. He's a serious musician. And. He said, I was in my dressing room one day doing finger exercises. <laughs> That's why I say that. Because who the hell does finger exercises? I do finger exercises. It's called rolling a doobie. But the, uh, but he, and, and he said, I was, I was just playing this thing like, something I knew from exercises. And yeah. Henley walks by and says, what's that? And Joe says, well, it's just an exercise. Said, no, that's a new Eagles song. Work it up. Yeah. So it's like, that's how that song came was yeah. through some kind of, uh, exercise, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, you know I'm I'm into the uh, as far as Eagles like like it matters what I'm into the early Eagles, you know, Southern California country rock stuff is just too perfect. I love it. Yeah, you oh, know? it's great. It's great. And and I and I know, and so when Joe joined the band, I realized I'm not really like. I'm not that into to the later Eagles, honestly, you know, I, I like Joe. I like, actually, I like Joe's solo records all the way through. Yeah. You, you realize when you, when you hear 
him on the again at the store. He has a lot more singles than than you would suspect, you know. Yeah. And they're all pretty good. Yeah. And then when you see him interviewed, you realize, well, he's really smart, you know. He's just not just this joker, this jagoff. He's really quite a guy. A yeah. lot of lot of love to Joe Walsh. Another guy who I know he gets lots of the military. Uh, the biggest marine base in the world is just 15 miles from here, so you, you get a lot of helicopters going over. We're definitely we're definitely in in, uh, in Putin's crosshairs if there's a nuclear weapon. Yeah, there you go. That's why you got. Uh, I'm moving just next door. I'll be a lot better. But the uh, the other guy who is Alice Cooper. Early on, Alice Cooper for me was like, you know, I was kind of scared of him, of course, but I realized now he's just like this joker you know and completely hilarious guy but the music you know the actual music was really um great you know important important to me man i loved alice cooper that's easy top easy top smith yeah. i yeah i needed i i i need once in a while i will need to put on some of those records you know so you mentioned like you know tom dowd uh you mentioned sweet home alabama um, but I think a lot of, I, I used to read album jackets as if like, uh, I was doing research, but I, I didn't know it at the time, but I used to read album jackets and see like George Marino's name, uh, you know, or, or master disc or, you know, like I, I used to like wonder like, where is this place? Why am I seeing, you know, what, what happens in the mastering? But, um, Tom Dowd was a name I saw a lot, but also Bill Sims music, I think, is that his name? Bill Simsic? But yeah, he, the guy from Joe Walsh. Yeah, yeah produced Joe another, Walsh. No, that's another guy. He also produced no, um, the Eagle. Oh, is he the guy, Bill Simsic? Yeah, okay. Yeah, he produced a lot of people. I mean, he he was really like, um, but he was another, very interestingly, he and Tom Dowd were both, I believe, sonar technicians, like in the Korean War. So, and didn't have like a- Oh, really? Guy. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, but- I did not know that. Just, just, just brings to mind just, like just, um, being being curious about who these like who the cast of characters are, you know. Yeah. The um, well, one thing. First of all, there's a studio nearby. I can almost see it. Now it's maybe a mile away. Called uh, Rancho de la Luna. Dave Catching uh, has a studio. Dave Catching from uh, he used to be uh, in uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. Anyway, he's got a studio out here. And he, he's a wonderful individual. I was over there a little while back and he said, hey man, I had Joe Walsh out here last week. Uh, said, What's it? The whole band, Joe Walsh with the Barnstormers and Bill Sisnick. Oh my God. The whole crew that did all those. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, they were just out here recording. Like, and he's, his place is like, it's a little ranch house, a one bedroom ranch house that's been made into a studio. You know, nobody lives there anymore, but it's like wow, he they were here. It's like yeah, and they sounded just like they always did. It's like I can't, I couldn't believe it. It's like time stands still. You yeah. know, it's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that people are still just doing it. You know, yeah. yeah. I saw an interview with Tony Visconti recently, or I think it was recently. I hope it is. Doing fine, man. You know, yeah. got legend, legendary people out there, just really legendary. So and they know more about music than all they've forgotten more about music than, than I'll ever learn, you know. I know. Well, that's again, that's what's <clears throat> that's what's humbling, but it, it also keeps um it also keeps things interesting and we can always go back and kind of continue research and listening and so on. Um I wanted to well, that, that's true, you know. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. 
No, I, I just, I, I, we're, we're about at the one hour mark. And I just, before we wrap up, okay. I want to give you some time, like tell us about this latest recording. You have to tell us how people can hear your music, how people can book you for shows, how, um, you know, all, all of that stuff. So, so yeah, um, sure. Tell us, tell us about your recent recording and tell us when we can expect to hear it. Sure thing. Yeah, I just did a Kickstarter campaign uh, last uh, uh, December and raised enough money to record a record um, in December. And it's coming out in October now uh, on a little, little LA label called 40 Below Records. And that's good. It's been seven years now, seven or eight now, seven or eight, let's call it seven, since I put a record out. And so I was really, I've been in a in a whatever on an odyssey i i've thought back to to the uh, uh like if, back when i listened to music if 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 an artist i liked didn't make a record for seven years i'd assume they retired you know what i mean yeah yeah so anyway it, but anyway i'm back doing it and i have a um i have a record due every 18 months now which is fantastic so i'm yeah. back doing it and so i it was good to uh that, that that's the story is I, I i got back up on my pony and uh and finished 10 songs and and made an album and i have a booking agent odyssey booking if anyone wants, wants to book me um you know that's what i that's that's what i do i make records and and go out and play little gigs i'm just the happiest as i as i, I think i started the interview i'm just the luckiest guy in the in the world second luckiest guy in the world so second how luckiest guy in the showbiz how can how can we, so we can hear the new record in October, probably on all the streaming platforms, right? Apple, yeah, Spotify, yeah, what? they're gonna they're gonna start. There, there goes a Brooklyn girl is the, is the first single, and that's yeah. coming out May sixth. But I don't know how it's if that just means to press. That might just mean to the press. I'm not sure. It's weird to work with the label again. I I'm glad that they're doing the things they're doing, you know, because I wouldn't do it. Right. But it's you know what I mean, like the the hype, the 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 pushing it's got to be done of course, of course um people people take you seriously then you know of course when you're actually because uh, my because my last record i put seven years out seven years ago out seven years ago i put it out myself so it didn't have the real so really it's been 12 years since i've been in the in the public eye again so uh, and so that's kind of my my story i'm like on a comeback uh comeback swing here you know so who's so? How did people get in touch with you if they want to book you? Do they contact you or you, or the booking agent? They can go to my website and uh, go to Chris Bailey's email. Okay. Or go to uh, go to Odyssey Odyssey Booking. Okay. They, they'll know how to get. They'll know just you know that's how you usually do it and, when you and know what is what is your website? Agents. You want to you want to spell it out for everybody? It's uh it's uh freedyjohnston.com. Okay. F R E E D Y uh, Johnston with a T. Yeah, so I, I've got a new record, um, man. You know, I just what, what can I say? I, I, I really don't want to sound saccharine, or you know, don't want to sound like I'm trying to say the right things. But you know, these. I, first of all, I realized doing these these interviews, you want to you want to wrap things up and say things in a way that's like it could be years from now. The people are looking at this and I'm long dead. You know what I mean? You just want to be like truthful. Yeah. And so like yeah. I've had a lot of mistakes that I've done a lot of dumb things in my music career, but I've been 
presented with so many opportunities that I just can't even believe it. That if I if I'd taken advantage of all of them, um, I can't even imagine what would have happened. So so I'm just I'm just very grateful that I that I've got what I've got. You know, I don't in any way feel uh, 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 like oh they done me wrong kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's none of that. It's 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 more the the other way around. It's like oh I I could have would have should have, but I'm still doing it. And having known enough musicians, I'm not, I'm not in the, I'm not in, I'm not alone in the boat. Right. Right? Everybody's like, because it's a weird job. Uh, it's like, it's it, here I am, you know, years into it and not, you know, well into it. And like, did I ever do anything? Did I ever do any good? Did I, you know, it's like, and then somebody will come up to me at a show or online and say, "Man, that song, basically, you know, got me through my divorce and saved my life." You know, right. And that's people have said things like that to me and they really mean it. And I have to take that really, truly deeply to heart and realize, Hey, I actually do have a job. Yeah. You know, um, when I see people who look at me and I know they're thinking that people like my brother. Yeah. Who are like, what do you do for a living again now? <laughs> you know, I'm not making fun of my brother. I'm just, he's from Oklahoma. It's like, that's, I, I'm, if he's watching this, I'm cracking on you, Steve, but he, but he's a hardworking man. Yeah. And I'm sure that in his mind, he's thinking like, so you live how, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and, um, which makes sense. You know, if you see how some musicians, Hey, I will say this just to be not, not facetious, but in a weird way, it's real. That song life's been good to me so far. And, uh, uh, um, taking care of business yeah. by BTO. Oh, yeah. And welcome to the machine by Pink Floyd. Those yeah. are all true. Those were all true, I realize. They were instructional. It wasn't like a joke. It really was true. It's like, if you're gonna be a musician, get used to being like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and just like enjoying sitting around all day, just being you and getting yeah. a million dollars. That's yeah. what they want from you. Be, enjoy being Dave Grohl and just like sitting there and saying, yeah. You know, instead of like feeling, you know, that, that so I never really took that to Or, and the other thing about the, the Pink Floyd song, it's like, I was really, oh, whatever. You saw it all happen. Yeah. I just wasn't very savvy. And I just went, well, I just walked right into the machine, you know, man. Oh, no. You know um, what? We, we all, we all did we that all did. back then. And, and I'm not bitter. Yeah. And, 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 and as I said in the earlier comment, I'm not bitter about it. I'm just saying, I'm just commenting on it, you know, just yeah. comment. That's all. And, and just commenting in a way that like, again, somebody else might get some big, somebody watching this, some kid might have a hit song yeah. and get a big opportunity. Yeah. And they might think, I remember I listened to Uncle Freddy and Freddy said, grab that ring. If, if it, if it comes your way, don't, don't hold back. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Cause yeah. that, that really is, um, that's really true. Like I remember things when I was on the road with Cheryl Crow, I was again, the luckiest guy in show business. And I was making comments about bad reputation on stage while I was singing it. And she said to me after a show one time, she said, Freddy, you know, my least favorite song is all I want to do is have some fun. She said, but it's also my favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, and you, and you, it's, it's my fan's favorite song. So it's my favorite song. So she was really good about that. She's like, you know, give your song a break. Right. And um, anyway, that's neither here nor there, but Hey, I'm, I would end it on a positive note, Brian. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be doing it and I'm still writing songs. It's weird. That's it's not great. like, it's not like, um, I don't know. I don't have any 
I'd stop, I think, if I if I forgot how to do it, you know, and, or if I started and, just to really blow. And you're still writing great I, songs. I mean, you're not. It's um, it's something I hope so, that you can really, yeah. But it's something that you can really kind of hang your hat on because your songs sound just as fresh as they were, you know, in 1991 or you know, whenever we recorded "Can You Fly," and they sound just as uh, energetic and fresh and alive as they did then. So you know. It's a lot to be thankful for. I'm glad to hear that, man. That uh, record does, I will say that record has, it will live on. Yeah. And um, and I will say again, as I've said before earlier, you know, there have been, there've, there's been, you know, there's been drama, but I just want to say that, you know, Mark Soltak really did make that thing happen through his. Certainly did. Through his, his, uh, his bull-like drive. To, to get all those people together he's and certain. he has to be acknowledged, you know, at, at the time, you know, he and I, you know, whatever there was, I wasn't as appreciative, let's say that, but I certainly want to make that clear that he, that, that can you fly would not be uh, what it is uh, without him doing it. And I think it also in a way, can you fly wouldn't be the way it is if it hadn't had the, the uh, restrictions put on it, you know, it's a two part record. We, we, yeah. we did the first half and, and Barnum was not really happy with it, or I didn't have songs done, or they didn't know what to do. And so we went back and did the second half with Newt. So it has this real complexity to it. Yeah. And it wouldn't have had that if they'd liked it at first. I just, I just want to, I know that Gwen won't. Oh, hold on. I just want yeah, to clarify, um, uh, because yes, we are wrapping up, but you just mentioned two, two characters in, in, in our play. And one is uh, Knut Bon, uh, and he was- Knut, uh, yes. He produced he produced half the record and the other half of the record was produced yeah. by Graham maybe Graham Graham maybe yeah, who yeah. was uh, our longtime colleague but also played bass with you for many years right and um, yeah and Graham produced the first half and then and then and then uh, when we were going to go back in and do the second half Graham in his gentlemanly like way said I don't. I'd rather not produce. Yeah. Meaning like, he's like, let's get Newt. He didn't want to deal with me. I don't blame him, man. But yeah, so Newt he, came in and, 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 and then Graham played bass. Yeah. So he, yeah. When Graham produced, Jared played bass. Right. And then when, and then when. Newt, yeah. It's like the other way around kind of thing. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And then and it then, was really, yeah. It was, and then, and then you mentioned Mark Zoltak and explain what Mark's role was in, in, in all of that. Cause he, he, well, he was my manager. He, he was my manager and uh, he uh, was the executive producer of the record. Right. He uh, got together all the musicians. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, he, he didn't do any, didn't do any Sonic stuff or any of that. He just got to, got the people together and that was important. Right. Um, you know, there were a lot of good players on that record and, and they wouldn't be on there. Um, you know, like Sid or, you know, Kenny Margolis or, yeah. uh, and so, so he, he basically got the players together and, and, um, but, but the songs were my songs, of course. And, and the, uh, and Kevin Salem was a big part of it. You know, his, uh, his influence, but it, it sounds still, it's, I guess, oh, it's, again, talking to musicians, it's like, you can try and try, but you can't control the way you sound. You can really kind of control the way you sound, but you can't really, you know what I mean? So like, I can't control the way Candy Fly sounds. 
Yeah. It sounds really great and really odd and raw and desperate in a way, you know? And I don't know why that is, you know, uh, like the, I don't know why my last record sounds like it does. It just, you just have to strive, you know, to try to get back to a place. I don't know, because but it was, it was a moment in time. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, I'm, um, I'm glad to have changed. Yeah, no, 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 of course. Um, I think, um, it's, uh, it, it, it was a, um, oh, first of all, I, on my end, it was a great pleasure to be part of that record and to play drums on it. But it was also um, this kind of golden, this like very young uh, kind of um, naive era of like you know you know recording at Water Music that that that's that stunk like an oil spill, you know, and um, and uh, being in Hoboken before Hoboken before before a lot of people lived there, you know. When like Hoboken was kind of like an Italian neighborhood, and there was a very very um, nostalgic uh, moments there for me personally. So and I don't know. So well, it was still it it still was seventies recording. There was not yeah. a computer in the place. Yeah, uh, and it was all seventies gear. And, um, so it was. I'm glad I learned that way. Actually, just to wrap it up, as far as that goes, um, I use a sound device. It's a brand sound devices hard disk recorder now mm -hmm. uh, instead of Pro Tools because I don't want to see the screen. Okay. Cool. I, it, it, it has meters on it, but it really has taken me back to where it's like, I don't have anything to look at. Right. Uh, and, I, cool. and I can't do any editing. I have to go back like I used to and, and listen to the take. And if it's not good, do it over. Yeah. Wow. So I, I would recommend that if any, if any, uh, if people are having trouble, I don't know, if you're encountering, uh, if you're looking for a new way yeah. To, to break out of your old way of recording, yeah. it's it's to go back to where you're just listening. Yeah. And I'm sure you've worked in studios, maybe even kids now do that, where like when they're recording and they don't need to edit, they'll put a towel over the screen. I've yeah. seen that done, you know, which is, it's yeah. very good to do that. It's yeah. like, okay, what, what are we hearing here? You know, it's very, uh, because the way you see a sound form on those cattails on Pro Tools can somehow, some, sometimes affect the way it sounds, you know, if it looks weird. I, I, I totally agree. Well, Freddy, I want to anyway, thank, Brian. I want to thank you so much for joining me on this journey tonight. And um, and uh, it was really truly great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and we're wishing you all the best in your new recording. And we're gonna we're gonna be looking oh, man. for coming out soon. Thank you very much, Brian. Great to talk to you, my friend. And um, I'll see you. Uh, I'll be in the city at some point. In July or August, I'll uh, I'll send you a text and we'll get together. We 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 certainly will. I'm going to say goodbye now, and then maybe we can stick around for a quick chat after after we stop okay. recording. Okay. All right. And that concludes this episode of Friends in Music with Brian Doherty. I'd like to thank you for listening, and I'd like to thank my guest today, Freddie Johnston. Let's wrap this up with a song from Freddie's "Can You Fly" album. This song is entitled "In the New Sunshine." Shine, wait, a better
sunshine. Shine.